0: You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. We're so glad that you're here with us. If you're new to The Orchard, we have... Uh just started a new series called Family Strong, and we launched out last week, and Pastor Sam and I spent some time talking about gospel rhythms and family worship, and this week we are continuing in that series Family Strong. Now I know for some of you, you have, by God's grace, survived the first week of school, For that, there are four merit badges that you have earned, and we pray by God's grace you're gonna survive another week of school. For those of you who are looking forward to starting school tomorrow, and the clock going off even earlier, praise the Lord, bless the Lord all that is within me. For those of you who are here, and you're like, John, family for us is a little bit strange. It's not exactly working the way that we want it to. There are struggles. I want you to know that you are in the right place. Pastor Sam and I really want everyone to know when it comes to this idea of family strong, let us not be in this idea that it has to be always put together and perfect. None of us has a perfect family. And for everybody that has siblings, you said... Amen, right? None of us has it all together. None of us is a perfect parent. None of us gets it right all the time. And so as we talk about family strong, let us remind ourselves that that strength is a strength outside of ourselves. That strength is found in Christ. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to the Newer Testament, to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 9. We'll begin in verse number 14. And this morning, as we talk in Family Strong, I want us to talk about parenting fears. Parenting fears. Now, fears for parents go through various stages. I remember when we had our first child. I remember the day that they said, you can go home from the hospital And I remembered being absolutely terrified that they had entrusted me with the care of a human being. And I was afraid will I know what to do? Will I know when she's hungry? Will I know when she's supposed to be changed? Will I know how I'm supposed to make all these things work? And by God's grace, we did. But I was afraid. We, we get to those places in life where they start to find a little bit of coordination and they become even more dangerous. They can get up and move for themselves and we fear, okay, well now that they're getting their legs under them, we hope that they don't face plant in the corner of the coffee table too many times and we wonder how many scars we're going to have. We have these fears that emerge in us when we set them on the school bus that first morning and they drive away and we cry in the corner in the fetal position for about an hour we have new sets of fears about what are their friends going to be like we have fears about what they begin to transform into as they get to that very awkward and disconcerting stage called middle school We send them off to high school and we fear what's going to happen when they get a car. We wonder, we're afraid of who their girlfriends or boyfriends are going to be and what they're going to be like and we have all of these fears within us and the reality is we have to think about how are we supposed to contend with these things? What is our real fear as parents? But underlying all these things, there looms a big fear that we have. And it's the fear that we are going to fail them as parents, the fear that somehow they're going to make some sort of decision that will destroy their lives, the, the the fear that somehow we haven't done enough or we should have done more. And so I want you to know this morning, none of us has done enough. All of us could always do more. There is only one perfect parent. The rest of us are just trying to figure it out. And so... As we look this morning, how are we supposed to think about these things? What should we do? When it comes to Family Strong, we have all these parenting fears. How do we contend with these fears? What is it that we should do as these fears surround us? How do we contend when these fears seem like they are winning and it seems like we're not getting traction when suffering, disappointment, and failure come to us? How do we handle failure? This morning we're going to look at a story, we're going to pick it up in the midst of a very large part of Mark's narrative where there are a lot of things going on. As we come into the story, Jesus has just finished up on a high mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and there, before their eyes, transfigured, just a glimpse of his heavenly glory is given. He's transformed and he doesn't even look the same, he's physically altered in a dazzling and bright white the disciples are so caught up, they're so fearful, they're, they're trying to figure out what do we do, and, and, and they fumble through it and they want to set up houses so that they could just live there and tabernacle there forever, but Jesus says that's not what this is about, and the Father says I want you to listen to what he has to say. They start making their way down the mountain. The disciples have all kinds of questions. What about this Elijah thing, Jesus? Why, when, when, when all of these prophecies are coming, I don't understand, I'm confused, and as they're coming down the mountain, they find themselves in the valley. And if you're a parent, we're very acquainted with the valley, are we not? It is amazing to me how unstable home culture is. It is astounding to me that we can go from the heights of joy to the depths of despair over something as simple as a vegetable or a fruit. It is disconcerting to me how we can go from this is the most brilliant and wonderful opportunity ahead of us to I wish I'd never signed up. And it is one of those things that we have to contend with and figure out what are we going to do, but sometimes those problems are much larger. Sometimes those problems have gotten where we know that we cannot do anything. We, we have gotten to the end of ourselves. So as Jesus comes down this mountain with his disciples, those mountaintops that seem to be few and far between, that glimpse of Jesus is quickly taken away because they come into a big argument. As they get to the bottom of the mountain, they don't enter into a place of peace where they can now talk through what they're going to do next and how the journey to Jerusalem is gonna be. Instead, they come down into contention. They come down into heartache and disappointment. And so, if you have your Bibles there in Mark chapter nine, we're gonna begin in verse number 14, and the Bible says this. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, Were greatly amazed, and they ran up to him and they greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams and grinds his teeth, he becomes rigid, and I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, Oh faithless generation. "'How long am I to be with you, "'and how long am I to bear with you? "'Bring him to me.' "'And they brought the boy to him, "'and when the spirit saw him, "'immediately it convulsed the boy. "'He fell to the ground. "'He rolled about, foaming at the mouth, "'and Jesus asked his father, "'How long has this been happening to him?' "'He said, "'From childhood. "'And it's often cast him into fire "'and into water to destroy him, "'but if you can do anything, "'have compassion on us and help us.' "'And Jesus said to him, "'If you can,' All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus, he took him by the hand, he lifted him up, and he arose. And when they had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. May God bless the reading of his word, receive it as his living word. Jesus comes down the mountain, he comes into a big dust up. Uh, we, we get into this quickly because as Jesus realizes that there is conflict and contention going on, he quickly looks to the disciples and, and the scribes and he wants to know, what are you arguing about? And before anyone answers, the crowd is somewhat silent. You see, the disciples' failure to be able to help this boy had provided for these scribes all the ammunition they needed to question Jesus' authority and his right to have any sort of claim to being the son of God. This public display of their absolute inability to do anything for this boy left the door wide open to publicly shame them and there were many times that they would question who Jesus was in relationship to these fallen angels. One group uh, accused him of being in league with Beelzebub himself. And so the, the crowd is silent for a moment. Uh, the scribes are not going to be too eager to speak up because Jesus has often set aside their wisdom and made them look absolutely foolish. And so from the silence, there is one who will not be silent. For every parent who knows what it's like to see a child suffer, there's no space for silence and inaction And quickly from the crowd, a voice emerges as the Father. And he says, I I came to find you, Jesus, but you weren't here. Your disciples said that you had gone away. And I've been talking with these nine. I brought my son. I was supposed to see you, but you weren't here. And so I gave them to the disciples, and they said they could help me. But they haven't been able to do anything. Now, in this moment, you might expect Jesus to look and say, Well, that's just dreadful. I'm so sorry that that hasn't worked out for you. Let me me just take a moment and I can help you. But we're a little bit startled by his response. Jesus exasperated, oh, faithless generation. How long is it going to be this way? And it's easy for us to sit here in these chairs and think, well, that would not be me. But the truth is, we are just as guilty, if not more, you see, I'm, I'm so thankful the disciples are in the Bible because it helps me understand how dumb I am. I read about the disciples. They didn't get it on top of the mountain. Peter says, well, great, let's just build houses. We'll stay here forever. Jesus says, nope, we're going down to Jerusalem. The disciples don't get it. Why are we talking about Elijah? I don't get it. They come to the bottom. They still don't get it. Nothing is working out. And in this moment, we see that Jesus' relationships were real. And he had frustrating relationships around him. His best friends, those he worked with and served with, they had issues. You see, we must not sanitize Jesus in the midst of the sea of humanity. We must not remove the truth that he also knew what it was to be disappointed and frustrated. And he looks at these disciples and he says, oh, faithless ones, They have seen feeding. They have seen healing. They have even seen transfiguration, some of them. And for these nine down there who have just struggled mightily, his response to this little boy suffering out of the mouth of a desperate father is not one of, don't worry, everything's fine. I totally understand it. I'm going to fix this and it'll all be okay. Instead, he helps us to see our issue. We struggle in our faith. And I don't know if you're like me, but relationships amplify my struggle. And most often, the things that I find frustrating in others are the things that I am probably most guilty of. And as he comes down into this, and this father cries out, I've got this boy and the disciples haven't been able to do anything, and Jesus says, I I don't understand, you're just a faithless generation, you can hear the echoes from numbers when God talked about this stubborn people who wouldn't listen. And Jesus says, I, I, you're just like, bring the boy. And as the boy comes to Jesus, the this, this spirit sees Jesus and convulses him terribly, the scripture says. Now, I, I want you to know we are a very modern society and we're very prone to these simplistic, naturalistic ideas, the idea of the metaphysical is usually dismissed in light of any kind of scientific reason, even if it's only a theory that can't be replicated or proved. We're happy to set aside these sort of archaic ideas that there are spiritual things happening in the world around us that we don't see. But the scripture reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but there are things that we cannot see which wage war against the soul, see Ephesians 6. And into this context, as he he finds himself there, these fallen creatures convulse this boy terribly. And as this boy falls to the ground, Jesus looks at the father, he says, tell me, how, how long has this been happening? And the father goes on to explain, and you can just hear his anguish. As he says, it's all the way from childhood. And he explains it's cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Please help us. This exasperated father, he's tried and tried and tried. He's tried his best. He, he didn't want to let his boy get far enough away that anything could happen. And we as parents, sometimes out of our fear of failure, we'll do those same things. We want to insulate our kids from any sort of harm or difficulty. And sometimes we begin that helicopter parenting where we're not going to actually let them figure out how to live in the world. Instead, we're just going to protect them and keep them in these safe confines. But this father knows that that doesn't work. He's tried, but I can't help but think that he tries to throw him into fire. I can't help but wonder if there's some skin on this little boy that is scar tissue. I wonder how many times the father's had to plunge himself into water to pull this boy out. You see, we, we have these, these fears. Sometimes our fear as parents can become irrational. Sometimes we lose reason, and instead of contending in the way that Scripture prescribes, instead of looking to Jesus, instead of doing the things that we know that Scripture tells us, we find ourselves in desperate situations, and we'll just say, you know what? Fine, you're never leaving the house again. You're grounded forever. I'm going to lock you in the closet. It's not happening. Or, all right, fine. If that's the way it's going to be, no more phone. To which there's great wailing and gnashing of teeth. But it comes to this place, and every parent knows this, there is this thing we cannot have complete control, and any idea of complete control is a lie. It's a mirage anyway. This father knows, he says, no, this, is, this has happened this, this whole life, it's been since childhood, and the spirit, these, these Greek words give the indication it tries to just shred him and tear him. His mother and I, we sit there helpless to do anything for him and I, I, I try to keep him from being too close to water or if he's going to be close, we're, one of us is going to be right there. We, we try not to have fire in the house or if we do, we, we put up barricades and he, you can just hear the desperation of the soul. This fear, I don't want to fail my child I don't want to not be there when something happens, but if you are a parent, you know. You're not always going to be there. There are those moments where we must acknowledge the reality of where we live. We can't control every person that speaks to them at school. We can't control all that they're exposed to when they're not around us. We can't control what happens to other people driving on the road. There are things greater than us. And for this Father, he reaches this this place of exasperation and he just begs Jesus, please, if you can do anything, please have compassion on us. We've already had one difficult saying from Jesus. This one may be even a little more disconcerting. Jesus doesn't look at the Father and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I, yes, I will have compassion on you. I'm, I'm so glad that you, you made it. I, I'm sorry that the disciples weren't able to help you, but I, I can help you, and we'll, just, we'll solve this right now, and everything will be fine, and, and it'll just be over. Instead, he looks at this man and he says, if you can? Why are you here? If the question is, if you, why did you bring him To me, if you can, you see, there's an earlier story in the Gospel of Mark where a leper doesn't say if you can, he just says if you are willing, will you? But this man's question is can you? And I love this father as he hears Jesus say if you can, all things are possible for him who believes. Now, let us not make this something that it is not. Let us make sure that we weigh everything against the whole counsel of Scripture. This is not now the book of spells where now we know that if we just have enough faith that there will never be suffering, there will never be pain, everything's going to be fine. And if you just have enough faith, you can have $14 billion go in your bank account tomorrow. We must weigh this out carefully. It is not about, here's what this is. It is about me. Who who do you really think that I am? If you have come here seeking help, why did you come to me seeking help? What do you think it is that I can do for you? And I love this Father's Prayer. The honesty, the desperation, the realization that there, his faith is small, he doesn't have enough, it's inadequate, he's at his wit's end, there's absolutely nothing that he can do, and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. All I've got is this small, small faith. All I have is this, I am broken, I've messed up, I have not served this boy as I should all the time. I, I need something bigger than me. And I I believe, but I know that I struggle in this faith. And it is absolutely incredible. Jesus, at this point, when he says, I I just need you to help me, Jesus sees the crowd. They're approaching, They're, they're imminent. And then we see Jesus' power on display. He commands this unclean spirit. He says, you get out. And don't you ever come back. And I want you to know, for those of you who wrestle with this understanding of God, and sometimes we ascribe to an enemy a power that he is not due, I don't want you to make any mistake. There has never been a day in all of eternity where the high king of heaven has ever had a rival. This is not Star Wars where you've got, you know, the dark side and the force and we need Jesus Jedi to make things balanced. There is no balance. Hero Israel, the Lord God is one. There is only one God. He has always reigned. He always will reign. And this creature that he made has never been a rival to his throne. He's not greater than our king and every enemy is his footstool. And in this moment when Jesus commands these fallen creatures, even fallen creatures have to obey. And on their way out, they convulse this boy so terribly that he falls like a corpse. And the crowd begins to whisper, I think he's just died. Oh, poor man. I can't help but wonder what's going on in the Father's mind at that moment This boy, catatonic, so still. Is he breathing, is he okay? What's just, what's just happened? Helpless to do anything. And then we see the one who has the power to do all things. What do you think it was like when the Bible just simply says to us, Jesus takes him by the hand raises him up, He begins to walk and talk. What do you think it was like for a father to hear the voice of his son that he hadn't heard? He was mute. What do you think it was like for the son to hear the voice of his father? What do you think it was like for the, for the, inner, the, the, the dialogue that's going there between this father and son? They don't care there's a crowd. How tightly did this father hold his son How beautiful was the sound of that voice. We see these videos online of of children who get their hearing for the first time. What was it like for this boy to hear his dad for the first first time? Delivered from something bigger than the both of them, Parenting fear of failing our child and realizing that we don't have the power to save their souls. We don't have the power to save them from everything. We need a power greater than us. We need a savior. We need Jesus. In this moment, we see his power on full display and we see what parents who walk in fear must do. And the disciples um, are still confused. You get back to the home, Jesus we don't understand. Now you gotta, you gotta realize the, the disciples had participated in exorcisms before. This was not new to them. This was not uncharted territory. And as we read through that and and you hear Jesus say, well, this kind only comes out by prayer, that doesn't mean that there's some exorcisms that don't require prayer. What it tells us is this. You need the same thing that this Father needs. You've got to have a power greater than yourself. There is only one that has that kind of power. That's why when Peter and John are asked about who told you you could teach in this name? And they said, "There's only one name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved." There's power in the name. And so, in, in this moment, uh, the disciples are like, "We don't get it." And Jesus is saying, "You don't understand. You can't live and pass victories. You can't rely on the fact that there was irregularity in family worship for a year or two while they were in preschool. We must feast on faith daily." For you see, when it comes to our failures and our fear of failure, we must carefully assess our hearts. Because sometimes, if we're honest, our fear of failure has more to do with our pride than it does our children's well-being. There are so many families that find themselves in kid-centered homes instead of Christ-centered homes that the family then will adopt the identity of Whatever gifts, skills, and talents that the child has. Instead of saying we have no life apart from Christ, we will pursue everything but Christ as if some sort of leg up in an athletic competition or a leg up in academic prowess or a giftedness in musical abilities is somehow going to sustain the soul in eternity. We must be careful that our fear of failure is not just about us or our reputation or what other people are gonna think when there's a public failure in our children. You see, you've got two people here who failed publicly. The disciples had failed spectacularly and publicly, and the father had failed spectacularly and publicly. But instead, the disciples went into arguing over whose fault it was and what should be done next. And the father just fell at the feet of Jesus, knowing that he's the only one that could fix it. And so, as we see in this story, there are a couple of things that I think would be important for us to take away. One, parent, we have to go to Jesus. Uh, We have to go to Jesus because I'm my children's problem. There are too many times that I will see their sin, instead of weighing it against God, I see it as against me, and I'll let my own self-righteousness rise up in me. I'll let my own sense of being offended take, and instead of discipline being correction driven by love for the benefit of their soul, I will take my anger out on them, or I will seek to manipulate things so that they may feel the weight of having offended me. When it comes to us understanding this parent, we have to go to Jesus to fall on our faces to say we need help fighting sin. We're fighting for faith. We believe, but help our unbelief. For the parent who is here, and you don't think you can take another call from the school, another call from law enforcement, another, another call from the neighbors down the street, another call from wherever it's coming from and there is this battle zone that you seek to call a home and it seems like there is no rest and there's such contention and there's such a fracture there where all we can do is raise our voices and tell each other what's wrong with each other instead of pleading to Jesus who has all power. Oh, if we are to be family strong, we must recognize it's gonna take a strength well beyond ourselves. And in these parenting fears, with the sense of failure looming in the background, where we wonder if our past sins are now what is making our children sin, where we have to come before the scripture and say, no, it's sin that brings death, and there's only one remedy for sin. His name is Jesus. For this boy, And this father, I want you to notice things got worse before they got better. Things got worse before it got better. This guy made the journey from wherever they were and he came all the way to the place where they heard Jesus was. But before things got better, they had to languish as disciples failed one time after another after another. They had to languish and things did not get better. They got worse because even when Jesus commands the spirit to come out, it convulses the boy so terribly that he falls unconscious because the problem for us is we must realize that in this it is the daily coming to Jesus it is the daily fighting sin and fighting for faith that is needed in homes discipleship and discipline must be a part of every day I would love to just interview people who after last week we talked about family worship tried family worship for the first time or the first time in a long time on a Monday And you didn't even get sat down, one kid had punched another one. Somebody was crying, somebody had to go to the potty, somebody said it was boring. Dad was late getting home from work, and mom's going, you said we were going to do this, and we're talking like this, and we're going all around the horn. And so what happens for us is, well, I tried that one time, so I'm done. No, no, no. Oh, my fellow fallen parents, we got to go to Jesus every day. We gotta love our children well. Our children need to know we're not trying to produce some sort of plastic, artificial, hypocritical faith. We want them to know that faith is about living and life in the real world. When relationships and people disappoint you and fail you and there is struggle and strife, faith still matters. It is a humbling thing for me to have to go kneel before an 11-year-old boy and say, I have seen, sinned against God and I have sinned against you. Would you forgive me and what, can we be reconciled to one another? They don't need some sort of form of godliness where we have a different way that we um, live those couple of hours at the orchard on Sunday morning and then the rest of the week is a free-for-all where it's completely different. They need to see that we're always going to Jesus and we always need his help and we always need a power greater than ourselves. We've got to recognize what a privilege it is for us to bring him grace. What an incredible joy it is to find those gospel rhythms that we talked about last week, to see these means of grace that God uses. Some of you say, well, John, that's great. I wish you would, where were you 25 years ago? My children are grown, and they're out of the house, and they're so far from the Lord, and there's nothing I can do, and every time I even try to talk to them about Jesus, they hang up on me, or we yell at each other, and things are not working. I want you to know this. There's a pastor, his name's Ted Tripp. He tells the story of a woman who prayed for her son for 58 years. She died estranged from him, and he had not confessed any sort of faith and had no interest. But years later, the gracious high king of heaven, having rescued him from sin and death, he confessed that faith in the presence of believers and began to walk in faithfulness with Jesus. See, my friends, if there's a thief on the cross that can find salvation in an instant, there is no child that's so far away that God cannot rescue them. Don't give up. You pray and you keep praying. For mothers who say, I don't have any more tears. I can't keep doing it. Pray. And say, help my unbelief. For a father who wants to grit his teeth, instead, call out to the Lord and pray. And keep on praying. And ask him, help my unbelief. Oh, dear friends, Family Strong is not about our strength. It's about his. And our Parenting fears, and that fear of failure, we must look beyond that. There is help for us. There is hope. Because somewhere, while these disciples were still asking questions about why it didn't work, there's a boy and his father having a conversation they've never had. they got to hold hands on the way home not because he had to keep a firm grip so they didn't fall into fire or water but just to experience the joy of what Jesus had done. Somewhere while the disciples are still arguing about why it didn't go the way it should have gone there's a boy and his father talking about what they're gonna do tomorrow Let not your fear of failure keep you from the one who is able. Let not the distance between you and your children think that the hand of the Lord is shortened, that he cannot save. Let not the distance of years make you get up off your face before God. But you go to the one who is able, and you go to the one with whom all things are possible, and you say, help my unbelief. For the broken, the contrite, and the failures are never turned away. And you will find the help you seek. Today is a good day. And we're going to close today with a celebration. Tables are set up where we can come to the Lord's table to feast. And I want you to know as you see these tables at the orchard, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, who's repented of their sin and trusted Christ as your only hope in this life and the life to come, we want you to celebrate with our covenant family at the Lord's table. But before you come, I bid you consider the state of your soul, consider the state of your family. And for the faithless, cry out. For the struggling, cry out. If you're here and you say, but John, I, I'm not a person of faith, that, that's quite alright. We're, we're so glad that you're here. We want you to stay. Just stay seated and, and observe. This for us is a picture of something much bigger. This is the picture of what we've seen in this story about this little boy because for us, this is the picture that Christ, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we couldn't do anything to save ourselves, Christ acted on our behalf. And so we have these pictures in bread and and juice that remind us of his body and his blood and a new life that comes in him and for us as we come to the table today we can be hope-filled for no matter how dark things are right now no matter how difficult family may be right now no matter how far away it seems you are from your kids I want you to know there is a high king of heaven who has made all things and with him all things are possible bring small pitiful faith and just cry out help my unbelief and having considered the state of your soul step with confidence and joy to the table be mindful of what Christ has done celebrate his life his death his burial and his resurrection for as we partake in these simple elements on this day there is one who waits our king We'll abstain from the table until we're all together. But he's commanded us to come to the table. So can I just say this to you, parent who's at your wit's end, and you don't think anything's ever going to change. Somewhere, there was a little boy holding his dad's hand, hearing his voice for the first time. For the mother who's been at it 25 years, don't lose hope. For the kid who doesn't think my parents are ever going to understand me, for whatever dysfunction there is, oh, friends, I want you to know there is grace in Christ Jesus. And he welcomes honest, desperate prayers like, I believe, but you're going to have to help my small faith and unbelief. As you come to the table today, I want you to know if you need prayer today, we'll have some folks available either side at these tables if you just want to come and pray they're happy to pray with you as you come to the table today parents don't miss an opportunity spouses don't miss an opportunity speak of God's goodness and what these things mean let it be a teaching moment do not grow weary my friends fellow failing parents Jesus can do anything take heart be of good courage pray like crazy